0: Welcome to another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. I'm going to put 20 minutes on a timer, and while I'm doing that, why don't you open your Bibles or turn in your Bible app to the book of Exodus, chapter 23. Three times a year. You are to celebrate a festival to me. Exodus chapter 23, verse 14. Verse 15 says, Celebrate the festival of the unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for that in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty handed. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of uh, the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. So the festival of harvest, um, you know, I I, I lived in the Napa Valley for many years and, uh, you know, there are different varieties of of wine. They'll sometimes say early harvest, and they'll sometimes say late harvest, and there, there's a difference. But the idea here was that the early harvest was the first thing you harvest. You go out your first day of harvesting your, your, your grain, your wheat, whatever it was. The first day of harvesting, you take the first thing you harvest, and you take that as an offering of worship and thanks before the Lord God for his provision for you. And then he says, when you have harvested everything, you are done harvesting for the year, then you are to, at the festival of ingathering, bring an offering there. Verse 17, three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. All right, so three feasts they were supposed to celebrate, three festivals. The first was Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were to remember their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. The second two feasts were different but linked, uh, harvest and in gathering, as I said, the harvest was at the beginning of the harvest, very first thing, and the in gathering was at the completed time. In in both of these, there's there's this idea of first is Passover. Salvation, you were brought out of slavery, out of bondage, you were made free. For the Christian, of course, our freedom is in Christ, that at the time of Passover, was when Jesus went to the cross. And so, our deliverance, our freedom from bondage of slavery and sin, it happened at Passover at the cross. And then these other two festivals are festivals of response, of rejoicing, of thanksgiving, of worship. Everything in the Christian life is a response. God sought after us. While we were his enemies Jesus died to save sinners the scripture tells us we didn't come up with the plan of rescue god came up with the plan of rescue and everything else in the christian life whether it is submission to god's plan for our lives whether it is obedience to the word of god whether it is generosity with the resources that god has given us everything that we do is a response to jesus's saving work On the cross. Are you having trouble worshiping? Are you having trouble being generous? Are you having trouble being obedient? Remember what Jesus has done for us through his death and his resurrection. Now, there's some things in here that we might want to talk about for a minute. No one is to appear before me empty handed. The assumption is that every person was going to bring an offering of praise. Maybe you grew up in a church where the pastor would then use verses like this as an excuse to browbeat everybody to give more money. They didn't understand economics in terms of coins the way that we do. And there was provision in the law for how people with no resources could still bring an offering before the Lord. In fact, Jesus's parents, that's how we know Jesus was poor and why he needed the financial gifts of the wise men to be able to uh, escape to Egypt in Matthew's gospel was because that when his parents made an offering eight days after he was born, as was the custom, that they offered to Turtle doves, the offering of the poor. No one is to come before me empty-handed. What I, what I think this is saying is everyone can pitch in. Everyone can bring something. Maybe God hasn't gifted you with strength, but he's gifted you with resources. Maybe God hasn't gifted you with resources, but he gifted you with faith. Everyone can bring something. No one is to come empty-handed. Verse 15. The next thing is where it says uh, three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Is that God saying he doesn't value the women? No, that is God dealing with the culture. But I don't believe it has anything to do with how God views women. What he's saying is three times a year, those who are obligated in that culture are to do this work. Just as we would say three times a year, uh, every able-bodied every, every adult should come and pitch in, right? No one would expect a three-year-old. And, and I, again, I am not trying to devalue women, but we understand that every culture has different things. and some, In some ways, culture has progressed, and in other ways, it is cultural imperialism, cultural arrogance that assumes that our culture must have it all together. Whatever the thing, the, the, the big idea is those who are Relationally responsible needed to do their part. Now, why does it say uh, do not offer any sacrifice uh, of blood along with anything containing yeast? Um, I think there's a couple of things going on here. One is that there was a separation. There was different types of offerings. There was blood sacrifice, the the uh, the bulls and the goats and the and the birds, but then there was also grain offerings and wave offerings. And so, there's a sense in which a lot of the Old Testament law is public health law. Don't cross-contaminate. The yeast and and the blood have to keep separate. It's the same as is you know you 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 cook or you you cut up a bunch of raw meat on your kitchen counter right. Then you don't you don't chop up raw vegetables for the salad with the same knife. or or the same counter without washing your hands and washing the knife and disinfecting the surface and all of that. It's the same idea, except they didn't know about germs and microbes and all of that. It's a provision. It's a provision of protection. The fat of my festival offering must not be kept until morning. God's saying, do what you have to do and do it at the right moment. Don't be lazy about it. When it's time to do the sacrifice and the fat would be used um, uh, to as a as a heat source as a source of flame for the for the burning and the the lamps and everything that was involved don't wait use it now bring the first fruits the best of your first fruits from your soil to the house of the Lord so what God is saying is don't give me your castoffs uh, you know I'm really thankful. This isn't something I see in our church, but over the years I've, I've been around enough churches to know that, you know, somebody decides they're going to get new furniture. And so then they say, Hey, maybe the church would like my crappy old furniture. Maybe the church would like my furniture that had multiple cats on it. Maybe, you know, no, we don't want the best, uh, couch set that 1985 ever saw. Like not even the youth group wants that. Oh, maybe the youth group. But the idea is to give God your best. So when I put my, my financial world together, and Angie and I, you know, we, we put our financial world together, the first thing we do is we give to the Lord. The first thing, and that surprises some people. What, the pastor tithes? Yes, the pastor tithes. I, we take 10% pre-tax off the top, and we give to the local church because this is our local church family. This is the, the community, the family that we are doing God's work with. And so, so we do that. And then, above and beyond that, somebody says, "Well, tithing's an Old Testament thing." Well, the New Testament thing is to give everything. So, above and beyond that, we look for opportunities to be generous and, you know, support a uh, support a compassion child or um, look for for people you can uh, bless or help. So God's saying, "Bring your best and do it. Don't wait around. Don't wait around. Get going." You know, one of the things I've, I've been surprised at um, in, in churches, more established churches, because uh, I spent most of my—Faith on Hill's been around for like 140-something years, but, but most of my pastoral ministry has been in newer churches, churches that with like 40 years of history max, and maybe sometimes far less. But as I've been around um, with pastors and things in more established churches, there's a lot of churches up and down the West Coast where they meet in a gym, And it's not because they're renting the local high school gym or the local elementary cafeteria slash gym. It's because they built the gym first. So in the 80s or the 90s, there was a big building project and they said, we're going to build the gym first and then we'll build our sanctuary. And what happened was they built the gym first and then they never built the sanctuary. And I know churches up and down the West Coast where that's the case. I, I, there's a church here locally, and I, 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 went, I went over there for a prayer meeting a couple years ago, and um, I was like, why do you guys have a basketball hoop over your soundboard? And it's because it was built to be the church gym, and they never built the sanctuary. There are seasons of momentum, seasons of let's do this now, and so you got to strike on those things. You're not guaranteed that the same situation will exist in five years or ten years or even tomorrow. So while we have opportunity, give the Lord your best. There's no guarantee that we'll be able to share the gospel with a certain group or a certain person tomorrow. There's no guarantee that I will have the strength to do the work God wants me to do tomorrow. But today I do, and today I can, and today we can. Now, verse 19 ends with one of the uh, favorite, if you're looking like um, there are, if you go Google search like weird Bible verses, there's whole websites devoted to these and this is one of them. Do not cook a goat in its mother's milk. And this is, by the way, A big part of why uh, if you go into a kosher kitchen, you'll see multiple refrigerators because there's the refrigeration for meat and then there's the refrigeration for dairy, lest somehow the meat and the dairy touch or interact and then are baked or cooked together. There is not 100% consensus on what this verse means, but near as we can tell, what this verse is talking about is ancient, pagan, idolatry worship practices. Um, That there was ancient practices of idol worship that involved boiling a young goat in its mother's milk, either alive or dead. We, again, are not 100% clear. There is not 100% consensus. But the basic premise is that that this was idolatrous. And so mixing the blood with the yeast cooking the goat in its mother's milk, that God was saying how you worship me is not a copy of how the world worships. Uh, Idol worship was rampant and prevalent in not just in Egypt, but in the land where the Israelites were going, the promised land. And he's saying you're not to do that. How a Christian puts their world together should be different than how the rest of the world puts our world together. How we handle our finances should be different. How we handle our our schedule. Think about it. The rest of the world has ordered their schedule, their weekly Sunday through Saturday life in a way that suits them, but not in the way that is geared to accomplishing what God wants from us. So it's no wonder that you put your whole week together and you go boom, 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 boom. And then by Sunday, you have nothing left. Now, I do not believe that Christians can only worship on Sunday. I don't believe that. If a church meets, uh, we have a church that's uh, using the fellowship hall on Sunday nights because uh, they were renting from uh, from Putnam, they were meeting at, at Rex Putnam High School, and they can't right now with COVID, and so they're they're using our fellowship hall on Sunday nights, and we're happy to let them use it. and And, and praise God that churches can work together. But whether you're meeting on Sunday nights or Sunday morning, doesn't matter. If everybody said, Adam, we, we, we kind of checked in and everybody in the church thinks that actually uh, Tuesday night or Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. would be the best time for everybody to get together for church. We'd probably have church at Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Now it's not. But the point is that one day is not better than the other. But let's be honest. Most people can go to church on Sunday. Most people can go to church on Sunday. And it is still the easiest time to meet. So if I'm putting my week together and I I organize my week, and really how I organize my week isn't Sunday through Saturday, it's Monday through Sunday. And Monday through Saturday, everything is set how I want it, and then whatever is left I give to God. Then it's not surprising that church attendance continues to decline among believers. Because we're not giving God our first fruits, it's not surprising that um, churches are are having to learn to do more with less financially because people give less. Now I understand there's other things involved, sure. Do I think that a Christian, if 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 you have massive amounts of debt, would God be okay with me paying my debt off and then tithing? You yeah, talk to me about that. I mean. I would rather, instead of just giving a blanket statement, I'd rather somebody email me, Adam at faithonhill.com. A lot of you who who listen are Facebook friends with me, at Adam Dalhanick, that's my social media. Uh, you know, let's actually have a conversation. Let's do a Zoom call. But but yeah, get yourself healthy, sure. That's not the point. The point is how we organize our world. Like I think somebody who organizes their world, and hey, I've got I've got fifty thousand dollars in debt. Uh, It's not, it's not good debt. Like it's not like a home loan, right? But I've got all this debt. I'm going to organize my whole world to get myself out of debt so that I will be in a position to be generous and give to others and give to the Lord. Fine. Totally cool with that. That's what we're talking about is positioning our lives Sunday through Saturday from, from our energy and our strength to our resources. How do I organize my life in a way that makes sense to what God has called me to do? So when you read, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk, well, you know what? The other day on Super Bowl Sunday, I made steak nachos with a cheese sauce. That's not kosher because that milk could have come from the cow, could have been the the milk of the mother of the cow that I ate. It was delicious, by the way. That's not what this is talking about. What God is saying is don't base your world off of the patterns of this world because this world is dying and it's dead in its sin. Verse 20, see, I am preparing an angel to go ahead of you, to guard you along the way, to bring you to the place I have prepared. So God is preparing them to go and leave Mount Sinai in the southern wilderness in the Negev to go north to the promised land. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. By the way, if that sounds cruel or unloving, and you say, how could God do that? How could God wipe all these people out? You need to know, first of all, that in the book of Genesis, God gave these people hundreds of years to repent. You need to know that the reason that God, and and we'll see this in a minute here in verse 24, why God is so opposed to their practices is because they would, they would have idols. And if you're watching on the video feed, you can see my hands outstretched. But basically, if you're, if you're just listening, take your hands, put them in front of you so you can see them, and then turn them over palm up as if you were holding something in your hands. Now imagine that there's a stone idol and that that stone idol has carved hands like that, And then they would put a fire under that stone hands and they would heat the stone. And then when the stone was scalding hot, they would place a baby, a human baby in the hands of that idol and it would burn to death. And that's not the only evil of those people, but that is an example of the horrendous wickedness that was prevalent among those people. So I trust that God is loving, and I trust that God is completely just. And if a just and loving God pronounces judgment on people and gives them hundreds of years to repent, then I trust that his ways are good. Verse 24, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them, break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship Yahweh, your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will be uh, miscarried or barren in your land, and I will give a full lifespan. Now, we've talked about this before. If you followed God's laws, if you honored God's word, so many things that were prevalent in the ancient world in terms of sickness and illness, in in terms of um, uh, sanitation and all of these things that lead to death and disease and even things such as a miscarriage, you wouldn't have to deal with because you're not, by, by removing those things, since they had no concept of, of microorganisms and bacteria and viruses, you remove the pigs, you remove the shellfish, you do all of the hand washing, you generally live a clean life. If somebody has a sickness, you quarantine them, you do all of these things and then boom, you live in the blessing of God. We've hit the 20 minute timer. So we will pause here and restart next week. But I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released every week. Video version at our Facebook page, audio version, Apple Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill in the search bar. We gather every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online for a Bible study currently in the book of Daniel. My name's Adam. You can email me adam at faithonhill.com. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. So 31 is 16, uh, 23, 14 through uh, 26.